In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Irvine. Hello, Ben. And Fernando. Ni hao, Benjamin. Hello, Fernando. We have a great episode for you all today. A little bit later on in the episode, we speak with Saman Arbabi. He's an international journalist who has covered the Middle East extensively over the past 20 years. I think you're going to learn a lot. His perspective is absolutely um, needed. He -hmm. brings some nuance to the conversation as opposed to the hyperbole uh, that we hear regularly when it comes to corporate media sources. First things first, when we talk about Afghanistan, when we talk about the recent Taliban takeover of Afghanistan on account that the U.S. withdrew after 20 years of chaos and uh, causing so much pain causing so much Mm -hmm. devastation to a region and for the pesky fee of $300 million (laughs) a day. The refugee crisis that's about to occur, that is occurring now, has to be on the forefront of all Americans' minds. Mm -hmm. As corporate media tries to bring us back into war, that is not the solution. The solution has to be right now protecting the people who helped the U.S. Mm -hmm. during the past 20 years against the Taliban and against hardcore theocratic rule. So those people, tens of thousands of people, need our help, much like the Hmong needed our help after Vietnam. Uh, Many of them were refugees. Mm -hmm. They were sent to places like Wisconsin. When I was doing foster care, many of our first children that we took in were Hmong. This country is not full. We have plenty of space. Mm -hmm. That being said, it might be in Wyoming. It's not going to be the best of the best. <laughs> Although I do love Wyoming. I'm just saying it's going to be a bit of a culture shock when it comes to the cold. There's acreage there. There's acreage there, Montana. <laughs> so that is the first thing that comes to my mind when talking about what's going on in Afghanistan. Another example of how the United States military is a hammer to destroy. It does very bad at rebuilding. There was extreme, uh. extreme extreme amounts of incompetence when it comes to nation building. And in one second, we're going to talk about how many corporations profited billions and billions of dollars off of the devastation and the blood that was spilled on Afghani soil. The refugee crisis, we must be responsible for the people that are displaced now, because again, the Taliban is going to roll back whatever small D uh, democratic Mm-hmm. ideals had been advanced over these past few years women's rights gay rights which are still limited to say the least 
-hmm. things are going to get worse for them. And we need to help out those people that helped us. And if we don't do that, then we have lost all moral standing as far as our actions in the Middle East over these past 20 years. If we don't do that, if we don't help these people, then literally all we did was make more billionaire corporations rich. We made more billionaire corporations rich and we made more people extremists in the Middle East, as we'll talk about with Saman. When you are economically devastated, you're a young man. Most of the people who are recruited to join terrorist forces, to join things like the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, are young men. They have nothing to live for. They have no money. They have no other direction to go other than... The Taliban, in some ways, the Robin Hood type character that they portrayed, despite the fact, of course, they give it with one hand and slap you with the other. But those young people are the people that, quite frankly, need to be saved. And the only way they're going to be saved is if Afghanistan has some economic success. But that is not looking great right now. And we get into further details with that uh, with Saman. So just a few things when it comes to helping resettle refugees. There are a few nonprofits that are doing some good work. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a Women for Women International. They say that they will match up to 500,000 in donations for its Afghanistan program. There's also the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, um, which is creating lists, standby lists. And hopefully this is one area where uh, the religious people, the ones that truly hold the good things in the Bible to their heart, they need to help with this. And so all hands on deck when it comes to the not looming refugee crisis, but current refugee crisis. Interestingly enough, in Georgia, and this is one of those strange times where even a broken clock is right, I like to say six times a day, but I do understand it's twice a day. (laughs) Brian Kemp, the conservative governor of Georgia has actually said that he is willing to take in refugees. Now, a lot of conservatives are super pissed. You know, the ones who wanted to bring us into the war in the first place, not that the leftist hands are clean on this, but let's be honest, the war hawks were coming from the right. Yeah. So he has said that he would like to bring in Afghan refugees. Uh, This is what he says. He says it's vitally important to keep Afghan allies safe from harm. Uh, This was his spokesperson, rather. Uh, He says, and this is according to Kemp, he says, Joe Biden's failure to protect American citizens and our allies in Afghanistan is a stain on our nation. So Brian Kemp obviously getting a little political there, Mm -hmm. but let's not make mistakes here. Everyone who has been in power in the past 20 years, they got some blood on their hands, except for perhaps uh, Barbara Barbara Lee Jackson, the only Congresswoman, Barbara Lee Jackson, to vote against the Afghanistan war because it was a hodgepodge after 9-11. Some progressives and libertarians voted against Iraq. Some of them voted against the Patriot Act, but the Afghanistan war was the first vote after uh, 9-11, and that was very bipartisan. Let's get in there. So let me make, get this straight. Even my boy Bernie. Bernie. Wow. Ron Paul. Um, yeah, a lot of the favorites of, of the the libertarian and the progressive movements uh, when they were congressmen. I mean, it was very, very different times and it's, in October 2001. It's hard to underestimate the monopolization of news at that time at as that well. Time. It was only corporate media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, thankfully... We get a little bit more of a democratic view when it comes to political opinions, but the media drove us to war so hard Mm -hmm. and it was such a 
sad time for America as there was so much anger and misplaced, not misplaced anger per se, but misguided when it comes to policy. I yes. understand 9-11 was horrible and the nation was reeling and the world was on our side. And all of a sudden, because we had Rumsfeld and Cheney and Bush and these total freaking neocon, war hawk, scumbag, war criminal type people in charge, mm -hmm. We threw all of that goodwill away. Right. And 20 years later, we're left with the devastation. And now, of course, again, a massive refugee crisis. Interestingly enough, as well, in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, this fellow does happen to be a Republican as well, which I think is a good sign because, quite frankly, we need Republicans on board when it comes to the refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. And they better step up because, again, they had a heck of a lot to do with getting us involved in the first place. Uh, this is what Representative Ben Felix Ungerman he had to say he's the deputy chief of staff for Republican Congressman Don Bacon. He says, almost everybody is saying we are hiding in our basements trying to stay safe. The Taliban is everywhere. It's not safe to go outside. Please help us. So it looks like Mr. Bacon is trying to compel his uh, his legislator, his legislative buddies to take in refugees, which we must take in again. That is the most important thing happening right now as we saw the scenes of the people clinging to the aircraft, almost like it was the movie World War Z. I could not, it's it was- rough to watch. It was so unbelievably sad. I mean, the person that fell off the plane, I initially thought it was fake, and then I looked at multiple different, um, they, they had a lot of different video, obviously, because of today's technology. And my God, dude, if your heart doesn't break watching that stuff, I don't think you got one. Or maybe you're on your third one, like Chaney. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not only is it the most important thing we can do right now, it's the only thing we can do right now. I mean, and yep. you know, we talk about this with Saman and Ben, you said it before. It, it doesn't matter if we would have gotten out of Afghanistan 10 years ago, right? Right after we actually uh, supposedly gotten Osama bin Laden, right. which was in Pakistan, in Pakistan right. so, but we went in Afghanistan. Okay. Um, you know, whether it's 10 years ago or 10 years from now, the, we, we would have been the same outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So let's think about the refugees and we will definitely keep you all up to date on services and ways to help refugees um, as those people are literally fighting for their lives and fleeing a uh, totalitarian theocratic regime that the Taliban will no doubt bring. You know, I want to bring up the logistics of this. It's, you know, it sounds like a lot of people are going to suddenly come into, you know, the U.S. or all over the world. And it's it's not. It's no. I mean, uh, the numbers, even 20,000, 200,000 people. If you literally put one person in every town in the U.S., that means uh, every town in the U.S. gets maybe five new people. You know, yes. if you split those people up. So it's it's not a giant influx. I mean, it's not going to be Sharia law here. No, I, definitely know. not. These are people who are fighting right. Sharia yeah, law. Yeah. If yeah. anything, they're going to be the most pro-American patriotic oh people. Yes. No, they, because they everyone are. knows first-generation Americans, like my father, uh, Sina Gostinby's father, they love America they love it more so than much. So you are literally just creating an entire new class of patriots that I'm sure many will vote Republican, many will vote Democrat. So it's going to be a political benefit for both sides. And I really hope we don't see that argument being made by anti-refugee people being like, the left it's wants them here to be so they can vote for them. I don't even think that's necessarily true because by nature, even a liberal in Afghanistan is going to be seen as a conservative in America. Well, but, exactly. It's already started. Tucker Carlson, oh. Charlie Kirk, they've already started Go fuck yourselves. warning the warning bells. And I believe Charlie Kirk's exact words was, 
we are now going to have so many Elon Omars. This is what he's talking yeah. about, the next Elon Omar coming. It's Thank like, you, it's Charlie so Kirk. It's so ridiculous. What a fucking moron. Logistically, again, it's not that many people. Not that many. Charlie Kirk's face looks like it's desperately trying to fight for room on his head. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's wrong with that guy. Talk about inbreeding. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the companies mm. that made bank off of bloodshed. Ooh, 20 Ugh. years of good profits, boys. The U.S. military relied on contractors like KBR and DinCorp. Now, these contractors were there for everything, from military supplies to food. This is according to Linda Bilms. Uh, she teaches public policy at Harvard. She said these corporations were used for, quote, for cooking, for driving, for delivering supplies. They were used across the board. Mm -hmm. She goes on to say the whole system was set up in a way to enable contractors mm -hmm. to rip off the government. One contractor, Supreme Food Service, pleaded guilty in 2014 to overcharging the U.S. military for food and water served in the mess halls of Afghanistan. However, it was murky because the government did what they called no-bid contracts, which which basically gave the companies a yeah. clean slate, and they would just be like, that's going to cost you one billion dollars. Oh. And then the U.S. is like, okay. And they're like, I can't, I can't believe, believe it worked, worked. <laughs> <laughs> which is unbelievably uh, sad. And again, one of the reasons why we spent $300 million a day on uh, an occupation that literally did nothing for anybody other than cause more chaos and destabilize an entire region. So who are these companies? Let's break this down a little bit. KBR, they are formerly known as Kellogg, Brown and Root. It's a U.S. Uh, company operating in fields of science, technology and engineering. 96% of KBR's revenue comes from the United States government. Oh, wow. So talk about... Uh, <laughs> are they are they actually a private company then? I think at that point, <laughs> exactly. they're just a part of the government. Good point. <laughs> That's an absolutely fantastic point. So Halliburton acquired Dresser Industries in 1998. Dresser's engineering subsidy, the M.W. Kellogg Company, was merged with Halliburton's construction subsidy, mm, wow. Brown and Root. So it's... KBR is Halliburton and this other company, Brown and Root. Uh, predecessors received contracts all the way back to WW2. It's headquartered in Houston, Texas. Currently, the revenue is $5.6 billion. Again, 96% of that coming from our tax dollars. It is unbelievable that this is not just accepted, normalized to the point where people don't even seem to really care. Right, right. And of course... We all remember those of us who grew up in the Bush Cheney era, who was the former CEO of Halliburton, mm. who then gave them all the contracts in Afghanistan and Iraq after he convinced the president to go to war. Then, of course, would be Dick Cheney. Absolutely. So KBR engages in third party lobbyists. They represent the company. It's no different than what Roger Stone and Manafort and uh, I forget the name of the other dude, maybe Lee or something like mm. that. What they were doing, selling access to yes. the president. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening here when it comes to the lobbying arm of KBR. Again, yes. they must be doing a heck of a freaking job. Heck of a job. But what are they what are they getting in return? It's access, it's power. It really is the strong arm of the United States military. And that is again why we need to audit the Pentagon. Right. Because where mm. why did we have why do we have seven hundred and forty billion dollars going to the US military right now? I understand. Tensions are high. We are. We talk about this with Saman as well. Is there a next Cold War brewing? Perhaps seven hundred and forty billion dollars, so though, much money. as these people are making billions and billions of dollars, and it's just it. 
hurts the soul to think about people who watch devastation, watch bombs blasting, watch children dying, and in a way, smile because they know their 401k is going to be going up. The stock prices is doing great. And everything for them is going wonderfully. It reminds me of people who are involved in the prison industrial complex. Making money off of human suffering is disgusting. I mean, uh, I hate to be facetious here, but I would be smiling if my $1 investment in stock grew to $1,236. In in that percentage of growth. That's exactly the percentage of growth for Lockheed Martin was that much. So $1 is now worth that much more money. I mean, I would be smiling if I were an evil, horrible person, too. The only person that got into trouble was this guy named Charles M. Smith. He was a senior civilian Defense Department official overseeing the government's multi-billion dollar contracts. Uh, He actually was forced out of his job in 2004 because he refused to approve a $1 billion, $1 billion in charges from KBR. So because he refused to give these MFers uh, $1 billion, he got He got axed. He got axed. From the Pentagon. Yes, and this is what he had to say. He says they had a gigantic amount of costs they just couldn't justify. So because he spoke out, because he was a whistleblower, they just said, get the hell out of here, bro. What good are you to us? So that's how deep this stuff goes when it comes to these contracts and when it comes to why are they so invested in warfare, in the military, in continuing to fund forever wars? Because they have a lot of money on the line. They're making that money. I mean, that that was what I remember hearing, you know, when all of this started. 9-11 happened my senior year in high school. I remember a couple of the guys joined the military after we graduated. And I remember my buddy Denny coming back from Iraq. And he was just like, I don't know why we're there. And he mentioned just a small thing, like a hammer was $175. It's cliche, but it's totally true. Exactly. And then it's like you said, Ben, what do they end up doing with these hammers? They smash. There's no nails. There's no, there's not the level of rebuilding that could be done or it's not even possible. All you do is with, is smash with these hammers and it's absolutely devastating. Absolutely. Does it have to be lobbying though? Does it have to be like war lobbying or is it just a senator bought a bunch of stock in these companies? And that so happens too. That happens all the time. Uh, yeah. How is that legal? I mean, Buddy, for why, is it, it, why isn't Richard Burr in prison right now? Right. After, co- after having the conversation about how COVID's going to mm. devastate our economy, they came out and gave a press conference and said everything's going to be fine. Right. Meanwhile, also they, that one female, Kelly Loeffler, uh, Kelly Loeffler Georgia. sold off all of her stock. He sold off all of his stock. It's insider trading. And absolutely, how it, it's not. But because of who they are, they get away with it. And they absolutely should not. Also, as I mentioned, DinCorp International. And as a matter of fact, I misspoke. I apologize. DinCorp received 96% of its $3 billion in annual revenue from the U.S. federal government. But we can assume KBR is uh, doing equally well. Something very, very similar to that. Mm -hmm. So the point stands. So DinCorp. It gets three billion bucks a year. Its corporate headquarters is in Virginia. Of course. It has a massive stake in the military. It has been used as a military contractor since 1946. Ooh. So ah, this, when it comes to uh, right now, their current <laughs> stock is at $3 billion. Um, when it comes to the amount of time that these corporations have been in bed with the United States military industrial complex, Holy crap. This is the backbone of the, of the entire United States government in spending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is more evidence beyond evidence uh, of why, again, we need to audit the Pentagon and figure out where the hell this money is going. 
it's almost like a new Cold War. I mean, you, you were saying that we're kind of getting to that point, perhaps with China. But I remember, you know, the, the Cold War was over in the early 90s. And for 10 years, those guys, Cheney, Rumsfeld, the Bushes, they were looking for another war. And that's what 9-11, of course, gave them is basically yep. a blanket forever war that we can go into other countries. That's what George W. Bush said. He said, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And if you were harboring terrorists like Afghanistan supposedly was, mm -hmm. again, it ended up being in Pakistan, Osama bin Laden and his compound. Um, I mean, that's what we, we, we gave these people a blank check. And you also kind of gave them a blank map and just said, point to a spot and that's where we we can go absolutely and just to show you how intricate and we talked about this a little bit when it comes to the assassination of the haitian president mm -hmm. how the cia was involved mm. back in the 90s evidently uh din corp or dine corp they supplied bodyguards for then haitian president jean bertrand mm. aristide aristide i nailed it aristide. i'm sure <laughs> so they go aristide. as far they go as far as providing secret service for foreign powers. Wow. This is a private, air quotes, private, private. company <laughs> with 96, as Travis so uh, poignantly said before regarding KBR. They are a private company. 96% of their money comes from us. And somehow we're not supposed to know what they're doing with it. Right. From bodyguards <sighs> to, to food, you said. I mean, some it's of everything, everything. And they, they have computer sciences. I mean, and of course, the money is in the hundreds and hundreds of millions into the billions of dollars. So uh, there's been multiple incidents. As a matter of fact, in 2001, Ecuadorian farmers filed a class action lawsuit against DynCorp. Uh, the court granted a summary judgment to dying court, no, dismissing the sole remaining human health and medical monitoring, claiming uh, that the Ecuadorian plaintiffs uh, claimed they suffered because of this corporation. It's so hard to find what good these corporations do, right? other than make money, again, and profit off of human suffering. According to Human Rights Watch, uh, Din Corp was involved in trafficking uh, women and girls in Bosnia. Oh, wow. So it's just talk about muddy hands, bloody hands, and making a heck of a lot of money uh, while you're at it. So the Afghan war, as we mentioned, uh, costs $300 million a day. Uh, the Afghan army that uh, the U.S. trained, it's 300,000 men who immediately uh, put down their weapons oh. and, uh, and ran away. Of course, uh, we only had their support because we were paying them money. Mm -hmm. This entire thing was a 20-year bribery scheme. Yeah. And... Again, with economic devastation comes a lot of people in need. And uh, if you have 150 bucks for someone, you're going to be able to get them to do a lot of your bidding. But you're never going to have their heart and their mind. And quite frankly, to make a strong military, you need those things in your soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's be clear. The blame game is in full effect. Absolutely. And, and no one is you can. It's like that Spider-Man gif. Yes. You know, the meme of all the Spider-Men. All Spider-Men's are Spider playing each other. I'm, I'm Lloyd Spider-Man. Uh... <laughs> right. Frankly, the only villain, as you mentioned, uh, for me is, continues to be George W. Spider-Man. Yep, don't and, forget it. Uh, he did start it, but it is fascinating to watch the right and left argue about who screwed it up more, Biden or Trump. Um, I mean, Fernando mentioned Trump and Pence met with the Taliban mm -hmm. uh, leader last year. Yep. They talked about releasing 5,000 more Taliban fighters as part of the deal. And really what Biden is just doing is continuing this drawdown you know by the end of august is the ultimate goal to have everyone out and it's just kind of been part of the plan because what else are we going to do just otherwise we stay there forever and when we talk about the illusion of choice look no further than the republican party 
getting rid of the part of their website that approved <laughs> of Donald Trump right. withdrawing Dude, from, from Afghanistan. Afghanistan yeah. They got rid of that as soon as Biden did it. As a matter of fact, there's a little joke on it, isn't yeah. there? If you go there, you get a 404 error, which is when a website isn't real, and it says, you must be as lost as Biden. Oh. Thank you for the joke. Oh, lol, Robble. Thank guys. you, Republican I joke. I love that Republican joke from the RNC. I saw there. that one in parlor. Oh, I didn't have that on my 2021 bingo card. <laughs> so just a reminder, the cost... When it comes to lives, there was uh, 2,500 U.S. military deaths. Uh, in Afghanistan, there was more than 4,000 U.S. civilian contractors killed, uh, which is unbelievable. Again, thinking about the power of these contractors, they lost 1,500 more people than the United States they military. They just keep going in. Isn't that incredible? Wow. And uh, unfortunately, when it comes to Afghan military, uh, they were killed. 69,000 of them were killed. And extremely unfortunately, uh, when it comes to civilians killed, it was 47,000. Uh, plus 51,000 dead opposition fighters. And again, the cost of the war, $300 million per day. Uh, total amount right now is about $2.3 trillion. So the question is, was it worth it? And my heart breaks for every single soldier rightfully asking, why did they lose their legs? Why did they lose their friend? Why were they there? And uh, they have every single right to be upset. And they have every single right to question the reason and the rationale Mm. of why they were there and it's unfortunate because you know many of them realized they were just there as pawns so the corporations can make billions and billions of dollars at the expense of people just trying to live in this gosh darn world uh speaking of the taliban uh the taliban commander uh, he claims he spent eight years in guantanamo bay and as we know from gitmo uh did it deter terrorism Mm. Or was that not used as one of the greatest right. uh, political tools that the Taliban and mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda had as we had, the, of course, the horrific pictures coming out of Guantanamo Bay, the waterboarding, the torture. We can't be as bad as our enemy. Otherwise, we are the enemy. And that was a mistake that, again, the war hawks under the Bush administration allowed to occur, which is why he should be painting pictures of dogs in handcuffs, because that man's policies caused so much chaos and the fact he can just go sleep in a cozy bed every night is kind of disgusting to me so when it comes to what we've experienced these past 20 years this is the conclusion and as i mentioned with saman setting the hook is easy mm -hmm. pulling it out all the barbs they get stuck in the guts and it's a horrible situation so our hearts go out to everyone all the refugees and we better the u.s better move on this otherwise I mean, talk about eroded trust within the civilian population right. of this country. Right. You know, we don't have people. People won't get the vaccine because they're horrified of the government and in many ways, rightfully so, even though get the vaccine, please, Lord, we have to move on. But you can imagine the, the level of trust people in Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, whatever, uh, have for the United States. The world the, stage. The world stage. And of course, the power vacuum, whether it be filled by the, the Chinese or the Russians, it will be filled. And, um, you know, it just reminds us that we have to do better. I'm reminded a little bit of when I was on Kennedy's show on Fox Business, and I was speaking with the general. We were talking in the green room, and he was telling me how waterboarding is torture, and it's horrible, and he goes on TV. He literally said, oh, it's just like having a hard sneeze through your nose. Oh my God. It's nothing. It's just like drinking water wrong. That kind of bullshit is what's driving the messaging for entities like the Taliban, who are not the majority in the region, but as we talk about with Saman, the Pakistanians, the Pakistanians uh, who we uh, fund, fund the Taliban, and now the Taliban are in Afghanistan, and there's just so much money at play. 
it's uh it's hard to exclude it you have to think about the money in yeah. this situation and the idea that we were going to spread democracy and freedom mm-hmm. what a uh, lark what, what a, a lark. lark no qui bono who benefits and nothing is more beneficial than that sweet sweet dollar absolutely in a fast-paced world every day brings new challenges and new opportunities at strayer university we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change for over 130 years we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right. Well, I really hope you guys enjoy this uh, conversation with Saman Arbabi. He ran the first Iranian daily show. It was called Parasite. He has a show called On 10 Now. He's an international journalist. He is a dear friend of mine. He's so smart. And it's just, it's hard, man. When you focus solely on Middle East policy, every day is just another blow (laughs) to your psyche because it doesn't seem to get better over there. You know, we think about time going forward innately leads to progress, mm. but it certainly doesn't always, right. especially in uh, in that region. Also, on the next episode that'll be out on Friday, we'll discuss some of the political backlash. Um, Biden, some of the polls uh, are showing that, you know, this is it is a difficult time. I think the media's response, as we've mentioned a thousand times before, a vested interest as CNN is sponsored by Northrop Grumman and Halliburton's all over the freaking place. Amazon is everywhere. They love it. They Amazon loves delivering all kinds of packages, even if they're bombs. <laughs> so we will talk a little bit about the media's reaction to the withdrawal. And if the media really wanted to spotlight atrocities over the world. Let's talk North Korea. Let's talk about China. Let's talk about Mexico. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Saudi Arabia. Let's talk about Central America. Mm-hmm. So don't forget, just because the media puts and highlights one thing, there's an ulterior motive. And that motive is keeping us in the forever war because KBR and DinCorp and those companies who sponsor the media companies money, money, money. need that money. So we'll talk all about that on this week's second episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Saman Arbabi. Um, I think it's really interesting. All right, everyone. Now it is time for our conversation with international journalist. He was the creator of Parasite and On 10. He is also an executive producer at Voice of America. The man's a genius. He's a good friend of mine. He's seen the world and he is an expert on the issue of the Middle East, specifically when it comes to the Taliban, Afghanistan, Iran, you name it. Mr. Saman Arbabi can talk about it. So thanks so much for being on the show, Saman. Thanks for having me, man. I miss you guys. I miss you too, buddy. So in 2004, you actually had a chance to go to Afghanistan. Um, And perhaps we can just sort of start this conversation there. Obviously, we're discussing the pullout, the withdrawal of the United States troops and the chaos that has ensued. What was your experience back in 2004? And how does it um, inform your ideas regarding the, the recent pullout in Afghanistan? Sure. So, yeah, this was my first assignment 
they were looking for volunteers to go and cover the uh, first uh, Democratic elections. This was uh, Karzai's first term running. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I 2004. So everything was slow. We didn't have all these social medias. I didn't have mm-hmm. we didn't have like satellite phones that actually worked. But I, I loved I wanted to go. So I hopped on a plane, ended up going there for about two weeks. And it's, you know, your first impression is just this country's been left so behind. There are like decades and decades behind, yeah. especially yeah. now that, you know, the technology is moving on so fast. You, you feel like this part of the world's just been left out. And if like there was a God, he definitely doesn't know this area exists ever. Right. Uh, it's just the most brutal country. Uh, and 2004 was right after the fall of Taliban. So, I mean, I, it's so hard to explain, but dirt roads, uh, no, barely any electricity, just people just made up whatever they could to live in. Yeah. Uh, not enough food, uh, not run, they didn't have running water, uh, no sewage system. So pissing shit was all over the fucking street. You know, as you walk, you step on all sorts of stuff. Lots of drug addiction because, you know, um, Afghanistan's like basically where all the heroin and opium and hash comes from. Right. So they, they seem to just be so far behind. So basically it was a perfect breeding ground of people who didn't have anything, who were being devastated uh, by yeah. economic despair. And if you are someone trying to recruit uh, individuals to cause harm on others, this seems like it would be a ripe place to go and grab disenfranchised, disaffected, angry, yeah. youthful men. Which is exactly what the Pakistani government's done for, for many decades. Um, you know, they had, they had the, the, the war with, against the Soviets, and then they had their own civil war, which all these tribes could not get along. And basically, Taliban at the time was the, in the mid-90s, they were like the Robin Hood um, cult in the group that right. kind of rose up. And first, they were trying to help by taking money from the rich, giving it to the poor, standing up for the right people. As, but as they grew popular and stronger, it, it went to their head and they, they thought they were there to do God's work. And this entire time, Pakistan, which is a U.S. ally and we ate so much, were feeding all these madrasas, which means these uh, religious schools. And I can okay. send you videos and pictures later, but there's these, they don't teach like biology or math. It's just basically their own version of what the Quran means and, and uh, about jihad and, and the holy war and all that. And these kids who end up being Taliban later. And, you know, as you can see, these members right now are like 20 some years old. Right. They, when nine 11 happened, they were probably barely born. Uh, that's all they learn in school. And that's all they know, just violence. And when you have nothing else around you and nothing to look forward to, you, you literally think you're there to do God's work and you're God, you're, you're spreading jihad around the world. You mentioned the fall of the Taliban in 2004, but, you know, it's kind of like a nice Chiron for CNN. What did that even mean? Because obviously they didn't fall. It seems as if they just went underground. And then after we've had, you know, now 20 years of occupation in that region, do you think that the Taliban has been able to use in a binary sense the U.S. engagement in Afghanistan as a propaganda tool? And if that's the case then does the withdrawal weaken the Taliban in the long run? Although obviously right now they're celebrating what they see as a hell of a victory, uh, taking over the leadership role in the region. Yeah, the Taliban, they come from the Pashtun tribe. And these are the closest people down south to the Pakistani border. Uh, But uh, like uh, they're they're a big chunk of the, you know, the ethnic 
groups in in uh, Afghanistan, but there you have the Hazaris, which are Shiite Muslims. You get the Uzbeks, so you get the Tajiks. So they're different, but th- these guys are the most militant and armed ones, and they they're supported by Pakistan. So they don't represent the whole country, and that's why they're not liked or wanted by uh, the majority of the country. But what happened after our the, the U.S. intervention? They had taken up, they had taken control over the entire country, and with the U.S. forces being involved. And the Northern Alliance, which is a Tajik tribe from north, uh, Ahmad Shah Massoud, which, you know, he was assassinated, I think, a day before 9-11 happened here. Hmm. Uh, we pushed them back. So they they ran away and they went back to their own safe zone by by the either across the border and lived in Pakistan in places where the Pakistanis don't care. You, you remember Bin Laden was found in Pakistan, the right, military right. Uh, town. So they, they retreated and they went back and they left the rest of the country alone. But you can't clean them up. You can't get rid of all of them because they're part of the population. They're part of the, they're not like a military. They're just jihadists. And, and as long as their tribe believes in that kind of stuff and that's all they're teaching their kids and brainwashing them. And that's all they've done all their lives. They're going to continue to do the same thing. So they started regaining some of these lands back, but they respected the U S military and they didn't do anything. Uh, and even now, they're not really attacking the American soldiers. But the withdrawal was basically the excuse they wanted to say, look, we 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 got rid of the Soviets and now the Americans and we're going to take over the whole country again, which they're spreading fear throughout the whole country, especially women are just so afraid of these people. Yeah. And obviously, from a humanitarian perspective, that's where our heart goes immediately to the yeah. upcoming refugee crisis. I was talking with Fernando and Travis about uh, in Wisconsin, when we started doing uh, foster care, we had a lot of Hmong foster kids because during the Vietnam War, the Hmong had helped us uh, fight the Viet Cong. And uh, after the war, they desperately needed to get the hell out. And um, thankful for them, they got sent to Wisconsin. Isn't that nice? But when it comes to the upcoming refugee crisis uh, regarding Taliban rule, how intense do you think this is going to be we see the people jumping onto the airplane wings heartbreaking falling off of the plane as the plane takes off it's just out of a freaking movie but unfortunately it's reality how far do you think the taliban is going to go when it comes to implementing more extreme uh, perhaps traditional sharia law and how long do you think that process will take over there or do you think the people is there any chance the people of afghanistan uh can 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 fight the Taliban, can can somehow put a democracy in place. Is there any opposition right now or what? Yeah. Uh, what's the deal with the Taliban on that? Well, the only group now that's kind of like gathering again is, again, the Northern Alliance team from Ahmad Shah Massoud. His son now, who's I think in his early 30s, he's re- regrouping his people up north. But it's just not enough. They won't be able to do it on their own. Um, even, you know, in 2001, when we invaded Afghanistan, we, we had to give ground and air support to the Northern Alliance and the opposition to Taliban because the ones who have the will to fight are these guys and they're extremely violent. And to clean them up, you know, you're not going to be able to do it alone, especially a bunch of unarmed Afghans. I mean, we had trained 300,000 soldiers with great equipment and they didn't last a second. They didn't have right. the will to fight. The Taliban does. Now, I don't know yeah. how much Northern Alliance is going to be able to do, but they're not going to be able to take over the country or get rid of the Taliban. They're going to be there. So you don't think that there would be any ramifications if the Taliban 
continues to go down. I mean, obviously they're a, they're an extremist group in so many ways. If they do start to erode, and they already have erode the small amounts of freedoms uh, that mm. many people in Afghanistan, at the very least, felt they had uh, with the U.S. occupation, there's just really no way that that anyone could that they could be overthrown in any way. No, I mean it's this is such a sad situation because you know Afghanistan was not perfect in the last 20 years, but this was the best time they actually had. Uh, after the civil war and the war with the Soviets. This was the most peaceful time they had that the tribes put down their guns. They did, They stopped fighting each other and they were just happy to get rid of Taliban because during that civil war, what happened that was 10 times worse was actually the Taliban invasion. And these people have tasted what it's like to be free, especially women uh, who were you know, locked up in their homes. My, my first assignment that I got an award for was actually covering a beauty salon in Kabul. And it was the first time not only women were leaving homes again, but they were providing for their families in whatever way they could to feed their children. So you have 20 years of much younger people uh, or the older people who, who finally had some peace in the last 20 years, 20 years understand what it's like to be without Taliban. And, and now this nightmare is back again. And um, there's, I, I don't see any way, I, you know, nobody really cares about Afghanistan. And that's what happened here because the United States should not have even been alone in doing this fight till now because how much, how much longer are we going to stay there um, sending our troops and spending our money? Well, that's kind of the next question because obviously this is a geopolitical pickle and there are no, there's no great answer. Like this is just a political yeah. This is a difficult political situation where no answer is going to be perfect. Yeah. When it comes to the U.S. withdrawal, obviously the Taliban has taken over now, but wouldn't this have happened if the U.S. was there for another five years and then withdrew? Wouldn't the same thing just occur? Absolutely. Uh, is the, so so what is like, what is the answer then from your perspective? Sure. How should the U.S. be engaged? Because I personally, I want the withdrawal. I don't think we ever should have been there in the first place. It's costing us $300 million a day, and we're giving away so much freaking money to these massive corporations. And dare I say, we paid off the Taliban and a lot of other people as well. So what is the answer in your perspective when it comes to how the U.S., yeah. at the very least, aids in the fact that we did we caused a lot of destruction we're going out but at the same time there's a humanitarian crisis what role should the u.s have look i mean we're really good at destroying militaries in like matter of days you yeah. can kill the crap out of almost anybody very quickly but nation nation building is a long-term difficult commitment and it's not one of those things that one country can do alone especially a country like united states that has uh doesn't have a great record in the region and also has so many other uh, enemies for the same reason that it keeps setting foot in that area. This should have been something done with with uh, many nations involved, including the Islamic countries like Saudi Arabia, rich countries yeah. that now don't want to do anything with Afghanistan. But at the time, back in the day, they also didn't help do anything about it either. Pakistan, the country that we aid, these guys need to just at least don't do anything because what they're doing is they're just fueling the Taliban because that's what they want. Yeah. So why don't they do anything? Why don't the Saudis help? Why why don't the Palestinian? Oh, and again, the Saudi Arabia governments, we're always talking about the governments, never the people. People are great. Governments are corrupt. In Palestine, why don't they help out? They I mean, should. do they have a vested interest in supporting the Taliban? Does Palestine want the Taliban? Does Saudi want the Taliban there? 
I don't think it's in the interest of anybody, really. Even for now, temporarily, like the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians are going to take advantage of this thing for a hot minute. But that's only because a, a ragtag Muslim group extremist uh, defeated the United States. But in the long term, nobody wants that country to go down the shit because China has its own Muslims and basically locking them up in concentration camps. Mm -hmm. Iran is a Shiite country, had beef with the Taliban and the Sunni extremists back in the day. So it's, this is not a good thing that's going to happen in that region for any of these countries. The Saudis, all it's not a good thing for the Saudis. And it's not because all these other terrorist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah, whom all these governments hate, are now uh, creating an alliance with now the Taliban. And again, mm. that country could turn into a breeding ground for terrorists any minute because that's what they do. There's nothing else there to do. This is what ISIS wanted to do, basically. But now this, these guys have done it. This should have been a thing. Uh, if there's a reason that we have the United Nations and other superpowers, if there's a reason for countries like China, United States and Russia to come together is to build these countries with dozens of other countries, Islamic countries, wealthy countries, and invest in their infrastructure, invest in their future, in the companies and the businesses, in the women who, who no society can you know, succeed if the women are not equal to the men. It's just never gonna happen. And they should have invested a lot more money into creating an economy that's stable enough for people to stay home. Rather was than that, was that the goal? Was that the United States goal was mm. to create the economy? Or was it just to, uh, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of people made a lot of money off these past 20 years. Yeah, I mean, look, that's also the problem with capitalism because it, we, it gets a little bit greedy. So, uh, you know, the American companies and the American government, more than anyone, pumped in billions of dollars in there. I mean, right. the American government actually built stuff for like electricity and things like that. But then all that shit went to waste through Afghans' own corruption and, and weak system. We, we basically wasted a lot of money. But that's the whole reason. Like nation building takes a very long time. And if you're going to go and start something in there, you better also realize you got to have an exit strategy, something that we don't ever have, right. and get other nations involved in and invest in that country for a very long period of time. Think about, okay, I'm going to go in there and we're going to work on this country, especially a country like Afghanistan that was centuries behind. I'm going to at least give it 50, 60 years to build it because they don't have anything. They don't have any natural resources. A third of their economy when I was there, I don't know if that's still the case, was narcotics, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what Taliban does. They sell and send uh, drugs through Iran to Turkey and Europe and the West. They didn't have anything. They, they, they didn't have anything other than their, their religious books and guns. So it, you make a great point. It's much easier to set the hook than pull it out of the fish's mouth. Uh, those barbs get caught up and you end up taking a lot of guts with you. Why yeah. aren't the Iranians and the Pakistans and the people of that region, why would they want the Taliban to have more power in Afghanistan? And why wouldn't they want to have a more successful Afghanistan? Because as you said, it, mm. it's going to become a breeding ground for terrorists, the disenfranchised youth, as we talked about earlier, young men without guidance. Uh, perhaps they get paid 50 bucks to go do something uh, of a criminal effect. And God knows, perhaps they become radicalized enough to become a suicide bomber. But wouldn't those people then who are actually sharing a border with Afghanistan, yeah. I mean, 9-11 happened, but that's a fairly rare event. Wouldn't they be more invested uh, or have a vested interest in a successful Afghanistan? No, two good reasons. A, for them, it's more important to get rid of the Westerners 
and, and American bases and military uh, the soldiers, basically American gringo soldiers out of the region. And the second thing is countries like Iran who are anti-democracy. You know, last thing they want is a country like Afghanistan and like Iraq, the two neighbors, yeah. to, to be a productive, uh, successful democratic system. Because if they become that, then Iran is also in danger and the Ayatollahs have to pack their bags and leave because it's against their belief and it's against their system. So if Iraq succeeds and becomes a powerful democratic country and so does Afghanistan, well, the mullahs are gonna be in danger. That's why they meddle in both of these countries and they like to keep it in some chaos and support these proxies and armed militias, even though uh, the Iranians were fighting Taliban back in the day. But right now it's in their best interest because a good, powerful um, Afghanistan where women have equal rights is not good for Iran because they're, they have the Sharia laws themselves. Mm -hmm. The democracy is a direct threat to that stuff. Like we uh, in the United States, our intentions are always good. Well, not always, but usually. Not always, when, but sometimes. When we get into some of these things, but it, it, we don't understand the background and the consequences or the planning that, that takes to go in there and not just have a good idea, but be able yeah. to make it happen. And Iraq was, I, I was against the Iraq war. I thought it was the stupidest thing ever, but I was actually truly for the Afghan war because I thought these people, they need help, especially the women. And I thought, okay, if there's one war that we justified and going into, that was it. Even if it was for 9-11 or whatever, we freed a lot of people, millions of people who were under the rule of these savage animals. These are like borderline Neanderthals. They're crazy people. Uh, you can't have diplomatic dialogue with them. You can't. I mean, Biden thought he could. <laughs> you saw what happened. When it comes to the blame game, which obviously in American politics we have to play, it seems like one man, speaking of setting the hook, one man is kind of getting off the hook, George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. Why isn't mm. there more conversation? This wasn't that long ago. Right. It was 20, 20 years, years ago, uh, which obviously it's a good length of time. But how, as a society, have we already forgotten about the masterminds, R.I.P. Rumsfeld, burning in hell somewhere, Dick Cheney on his eighth heart living in Wyoming, and George Bush, who was painting pictures of dogs so we forget he's a war criminal. How have those people seem to skate on this entire thing? Yeah. And what's your perspective about the initial policy they had going into Iraq? and Afghanistan at the same time, same time. Uh, yeah. saying, oh, people are going to see us as liberators. Why? Which why? actually, that you know, the, the Iraq were actually hindered and caused a problem with the Afghan war because all then all of a sudden all of our resources and focus went to the wrong country. Uh, and kind of Afghanistan just kind of was on the back burner and we didn't pay much attention to it. When, when it wasn't even done yet, you know, it was in the middle of things. All of a sudden we're like, okay, let's go over here. And and that kind of took away actually a lot of resources. And re a lot of resources, the amount of money and soldiers we sent to Iraq and the brutality of it was just insane. We lost so much more in Iraq. Uh, it was a terrible distraction. So when it comes to Iraq, we don't really talk about them right now. Uh, it should be on the forefront of our brains as well. And again, you know, it's very interesting to see the uh, the media attempt to beat the drums of war because these images are heartbreaking. Um, again, as uh, Saman mentioned, if we really want to look at human rights, um, we shouldn't be worried about selling Marvel movies to China. Those people literally are having a borderline Holocaust right now. 
What, I just remembered what I was going to say. You mentioned why we forget these things. That's the flaw with our system, sort of. We have this yo-yo thing going on that yeah. we make a deal with Iran one day. Next day, we just crush it, and then we go back to it again. And we do the same thing with these countries constantly. And it's a, it's a popularity contest between the different candidates that run for president. And we have such a short-term memory that we constantly forget like the, these, these things that we've done uh, are commitments. And just because Obama or somebody says, I'm going to pull the troops out, we shouldn't just be like, no, that's great. No, but then that, this is also one of the reasons we're losing to China so bad because they've been focused forever. And they look like 50, 60, 70 years ahead mm -hmm. where we don't. It got to a point where we forgot about George Bush. And then he went from being the worst president to actually a liberal after Trump was elected. Yeah, you know, apparently. Only, yeah. So uh, we've had uh, so many ups and downs ourselves in this country that um, we don't see things long term and we don't plan things for uh, uh, like the next 50, 60, 70 years, the same way the Chinese do. And that's where they're kicking our ass. We've talked about the companies, the corporations that have made billions and billions of dollars off of this war. These things don't happen on accident. Who is benefiting from that? Who is benefiting from the constant pendulum swing where we always just end up with the same people making the, making all the cash at the yeah. expense of blood? And uh, unfortunately, a lot of that shit was for oil. Why do you think that that happens? Is, is there what insight do you have on as far as qui bono? Look who benefits. And it's just speaking of chaos, it was one thing that we had under Trump. And uh, in many ways, we have now still a world in chaos can be extremely vulnerable to yeah. a horrible um, uh, to victimhood by horrible entities that don't have our best interest. Yeah, um, like, you know, in Afghanistan, war just creates a vacuum and, of irresponsibility and you can get away with a lot of stuff when you have that opportunity. And that's why these big contractors use it to just steal so much money. Same with the uh, Afghan officials who, um, to me, most of them would be white-colored criminals. Yeah. Uh, you know, they just take advantage of these huge, massive contracts. And same with the contractors, from security to selling weapons to training nonsense shit uh, and just blowing that money away and uh, pocketing most of it. That's what the Afghan government also was part of that issue. And they really messed up. Um, right. They didn't care enough for their own people. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. I'm interested to hear what you think about the arsenal that we have left behind. 
You know, as we saw with Gaddafi uh, in Libya, when um, the rebels were able to break in and and take the U.S. weapons that we had given uh, to Gaddafi at the time, because he was our buddy until he wasn't, bullets don't have a political ideology and guns don't know what your religion is. When do those weapons begin to be used against the citizens uh, that once enjoyed some sniff of democracy in Afghanistan. When does the Taliban take all of the U.S. weapons and aim it at their own uh, society and say, thanks, America. Thanks for all the guns. Now we're going to use it for our reasons. One thing that there there was never, ever a shortage of weapons in that part of the world because uh, the Pakistanis and the Chinese are constantly, uh, you know, reverse engineering cheap or, you know, low end light arms from from russia and sending it to afghanistan people everyone has a gun in afghanistan it's pretty much like an ak is like your couch uh, <laughs> but what they didn't have was access to this much modern technology that they didn't have 20 years ago or an air force we gave them an air force jeez we, you know we gave them we gave them um modern digital technology and spying and monitoring things and things that they would never dream of. And they don't frankly even know how to use it. So they're going to have to get help from our adversaries like Pakistan and China, which again, we're we're giving away all this technology that our military used and you don't want these guys to have. So, and a lot of guns, you know, every, I I look at, you know, all these videos, every, every back in the day was all AK-47s, but now you see like 50% M16s uh, with little lasers and things like that on top of it, which is all American made. So that's our tax money. That's where, that's what we ended up leaving behind. We armed the Taliban one way or another. They have Humvees, you know, they have Humvees, yeah. uh, Airplanes, helicopters. I want to talk a little bit about Russia's role and how how they view all of this, because I know the Russians must be pretty happy. Putin is having a great five years yeah. uh, thus far. When, But before that, when do you think the U.S. starts working with the Taliban? We already have in the past. Do you think, I mean, we've already seen Trump and Pence both engaged with Taliban leadership. Um, and of course, the Biden administration will be engaging somewhat with the Taliban leadership. Do you think that the U.S. and the Taliban can they have an uncomfortable relationship together to try to hold some kind of peace? Or is that just completely rose-colored glasses? No way in hell that's ever going to happen. Well, they're doing it now. Pompeo met with the Taliban and we had this deal with them, which they broke. Uh, I don't. What was that can... deal? Uh, it was about United States leaving Afghanistan for, for a peaceful transition and Taliban working with the other groups, everything that just didn't happen. Okay. Including everyone else in their new political system. Uh, but that didn't happen. You know, even Russia, it's not a good thing for Russia either, because Russia also has Muslims. And again, they had problems with che- in Chechnya and with their own separatist Muslims in Russia. So <clears throat> even Putin, he doesn't really, long-term, nobody gains anything out of this. Short-term, they're happy because we left the region with a black eye. But it's not a good thing for China. It's not a good thing for Russia. It's not a good thing for Iran. It's definitely not a good thing for um, the uh, people of Afghanistan. I think the only real winner that's always supported and uh, basically gave birth to this extremist group is Pakistan, which we give billions of dollars plus weapons. And they've always worked against us, always worked against us. How did that strange bedfellow come about? Um, you know, Pakistan sees Afghanistan as its own backyard. 
And, but why uh, why is the U.S. why do we give them so much? As you mentioned, that's where Bin Laden was. Uh, unfortunately, that was also a site where many U.S. drones were flying overhead. Yeah, um, so they don't flip to the Chinese or, or go to the go with the Russians because then it would be an expansion of their military and presence in the region. They would sell all the weapons instead of us, and they would work against us even more. This whole thing—it's all just about arms sales, huh? Well, arms sales is definitely part of it, but uh, we're not even selling Pakistan like our, our best stuff because we can't trust them. We sell them good stuff, you know, F-16s and pretty impressive military stuff. Yeah. But uh, if we don't, you know, it, it's not just the weapons, but we would lose uh, somewhat of a fake friend to a straight up enemy that would be working with the Chinese and the Russians. Um what we should do is really, and I'm just throwing stuff out there out of, as if I know what I'm talking about, but like India should become like a NATO ally just to piss yeah. off the Pakistanis and the Chinese, you know, with their numbers and everything else. That would shift everything in that area. Well, you make a great point about India, obviously a, a democratic country. It's evolved immensely. I mean, ob mm -hmm. the caste system and the disparity of wealth is mm -hmm. uh, its uh, disgusting as, as we have those issues here in this country as well. But in uh, India, my God, poverty. I know, again, we have issues there, but Indian poverty is really devastating. Yeah. But overall, the country is on the world stage. It's involved in, in the world. Um, they Do they have any fear when it comes to terrorism, when it comes to a rise in Taliban control? Are yeah. they concerned for their own security? Because obviously they've dealt with terrorism for a long, long time. Yeah, and, and they have a huge uh, Muslim population in, in India. And they've always had, you know, Pakistan used to be part of India. So uh, they're also not friends. They hate the Pakistanis. Mm -hmm. And they also hate the Chinese. So we have the same best interest as they would in that part of the world because they compete against Pakistan and they also don't trust the Chinese. They almost went to war last year with the Chinese in the mountains. Yeah. So th that's that's a side that, uh, you know, and they have the numbers like the Chinese, you know, over a billion population. It's just we finance Pakistan, we finance India, we, we finance everything. We finance <laughs> Afghanistan. We finance Afghanistan. And it seems just completely, um, is the most our money can do hold things at bay? You know, if you look at the Taliban, the only thing $300 million a day got us was that they went and chilled out for a while. They didn't disappear. And as That's soon as they were gone, one day, bro, yeah. it's all, is that the most we can do? And that's kind of, again, why I'm fine with the withdrawal, because I just don't see what's the most successful conclusion in your mind when it comes to how we would get out of Afghanistan. If, we, if you could have scripted it absolutely perfectly, what do you think the U.S. should have done uh, as opposed to causing a huge humanitarian crisis with the quick uh, withdrawal? It's hard to say, man. I don't know, because honestly, like when I went there in 2004 and when I got back, everyone used to tell me, so how are you going to, how, how is it going to be fixed? And I was like, hey, I just don't see any solution. It, it was just such a beat up country that uh, it was left so far behind civilization that I just, I thought like, even if you can teach somebody how to like at the hotel, be able to do their job, you, you're teaching them something that they haven't learned before. All they've seen is war. So they, they had literally no, nothing, no understanding of giving service or, or doing anything that would be productive in society. And they don't have any natural resources. They don't have anything that foreigners would even care of be investing in. All they have is some cheap mining, and that's it. If you go to Afghanistan- And a little heroin. 
a lot of that. Yeah, that's yeah. all that. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing there. You, you would be the king of rubble in, in Afghanistan if you were like a powerful, good person, whatever. There's nothing there to offer. And that, you know, kind of leaves a lot of countries away from, from giving it any kind of support. And obviously right. the United States can't do it alone. We, we failed. So we temporarily bought it for a hot minute and kept some peace in there. But now we, we've pulled the plug and it's going to be devastating. So I know you have insights into the first time the Taliban was able to withstand an attack by a much more powerful entity, the Russians. Is this going to be history repeating? And my question is, did the Taliban after the draw with uh, with the Russians, which again is a victory for them, um, did they get stronger after that? And are we going to deal with a super shredder? Are we dealing with you yeah. know the, the, you know the the Taliban dumped well, they- in the ooze, coming back stronger than ever because uh, because of everything that's happened over the past twenty years? Is this the most powerful the Taliban has ever been? Do you think? So very quickly, Taliban didn't exist during the war with the Soviets. Oh, okay. they, were, they were they were the Mujahideens. Mujahideens were the anti-Soviet, all the tribes that worked together to fight against uh, the Soviets. Now, Taliban at the time were like the children of the Mujahideens who seeked refugee in Pakistan, and they ended up in those religious schools that I told you about, the madrasas. So meanwhile, with, uh, the Pashtun tribe when their kids when the fathers were fighting the soviets their children were studying this religious stuff in pakistan and they rose to power after the after the soviets pulled out because they were mm. young enough and they they basically so they're they're kind of linked to the mujahideens but they they're from the pashtun tribe raised and basically brainwashed in pakistan mm. and they rose to power in the 90s and took over so this is the next generation of those pe- people now and they, yes, they are smarter because now they have Twitter and they have social media mm-hmm. and they have American weapons. Uh, but it's the same crazy ideology about, you know, Sharia law and jihad and, and spreading Islam across the world and same mentality. Right. Uh, do you guys want to get in here with anything? Yeah. I mean, Sarman, uh, thanks as always for your, your perspective. Um, just historically, I kind of want to know what what context. I always heard that Afghanistan, right, is the the graveyard of empires, Oof. right? Now I say it's official for the Americans, obviously the Soviets. I even think the British were once in the region. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the historically, Alexander the Great couldn't even march in Afghanistan and take it. It seems like it really is just a place for tribes and, and poppy fields, and yeah. that's all that should be there. What does this say for anyone what's to say to the next empire who's looking at afghanistan and be like hmm, i think i want to give it a try yeah i don't, I don't think there'll be another venture like this and, and, and like you said it's a hard hard place man when you fly, fly over it it's just rocks it's just mountains that have nothing there's no ocean there's no like nothing um except drugs and and rocks um and i i don't think any other you know back in the day i think people like Alexander the Great and those guys kind of used it and the Brits as a foothold to get to other parts of the world. But right. at this point, I, I don't think anyone's going to be interested in doing anything with it. And that's why I think it's sad because basically they're going to have a little fake alliance with the Chinese, which mm-hmm. they ne- never deliver just to keep peace, but then uh, keep them busy, you know, beating the crap out of each other. But I, I honestly don't think any country would be interested in doing anything there. And that's why they didn't in the last 20 years. We were left by ourselves. The U.S. was just there pumping $300 million a day uh, without any light at the end of the tunnel. 
Right. So I think the Chinese and the Russians and the rest of the world are smart in that. They're like, the hell with this. Why would we get involved in that madness? If they were interested, they would have done something about it by now. But there's nothing there. What about the role of Israel in all of this? Obviously, Israel, speaking of a stronghold, it's very strategic for us. We've talked about uh, our heart goes out to the Palestinian people. I believe that they need much more freedom and they need to not be imprisoned in their own country. But as far as the rise of the Taliban, is that something that uh, Israel will be taking seriously? Is that a concern for them? And if so, are they going to be used as the extension of the U.S. war machine if the Taliban does try to expand or really put in place some extremely uh, theocratic rules? Yeah. There's a good amount of distance between Afghanistan and, and Israel and Afghan or Taliban's not sophisticated enough. Like I said, they're like centuries behind to be any kind of direct threat to the Israelis. But the, one of the first people that congratulated Taliban was Hamas. And I'm telling you, not any different than the Taliban. Maybe a little bit, but not, not too much. Um, so... The, the Zionists or the Jews are also the same. Um, they're the Taliban's also enemy. But don't the, doesn't Hamas, and of course they've done horrible things in many ways, but Taliban and Hamas, they both exist because of unbelievable despair, right? Yeah. So the root cause, I mean, how do we start, you know, we how do we get to, uh, you know, the cancer of it all? How do we, How do we get to the tooth decay? How do we get to the root of the reason why the Hamas and Taliban are so successful in these areas. And as we saw, 48 hours it took for the Taliban. They just walked in like a knife through butter. How do we shape the root problems or address the root problems so we don't have the need for, air quotes, a Robin Hood giving to the poor, stealing from the rich? Because, of course, there's a lot of hands in between there that are taking uh, goods as well. Uh, You know, Gaza wasn't always locked up when the suicide bombing happened and things like that, things got ugly. And Gaza was sort of like West Bank. There was this really presence in there. But they're like, you know what? Let's just give it to them and see how they're going to deal with it. And it turned into a more dangerous place and breeding ground for terrorists than it was before. And they don't believe in dialogue. They, they, I, their policy is to wipe Israel off the map and take over the whole entire land. Again, when you have countries like Iran feeding into that and supporting it, it's never going to go away and it's only going to get worse than worse. And this, again, should be the responsibility of bigger brother Arab world, Saudi Arabia. You know, these countries who are actually closer. Iran's not even an Arab country. It's not even Sunni Muslim. It's Shiite. They, they, they historically have never, it's a Coke and Pepsi thing. It shouldn't even be involved in that part of the world. But when there's nobody else, they turn to the, the big, big guy who's got the oil and the money and the guns and the rockets and the missiles, which is the Iranians right now. Um, When you leave things alone, then bad people go take advantage of it. And for Iran, Hamas and Hezbollah and Lebanon are basically like two little aircraft carriers parked outside of Israel. And they'll use them at any point. Yeah. Um, It's it's just so sad how many people are happy with a chaotic Middle East and how much money is made in a chaotic Middle East. Yeah. Middle East, you know, is plagued with ideology and things like that. You know, um, yeah. that and that's that's the problem. When Islamic extremism is no joke, it's out there. When they say, you know, I want to spread Islam around the world, they really mean it. Well, and of course, I mean, we uh, 
we, we can't stress enough George W. Bush's religious reasons for going into the war in 2001. That's actually what I want to ask, actually, Saman. So uh, I'm an American. I mean, I, I live in America, so I've never seen a Taliban. I've never met a Taliban. But I have met radical right. And there's a lot of parallels between the Taliban and radical right. You know, they both insist on a government uh, run by theocracy. They curtail civil liberties. They are about torture. You know, they're okay with violence. They're okay with force. They repress women. Ugh. I mean, the only difference is that that the grotesqueness of their violence. But now in America, we have mass shootings every week, and they're all really related to the radical right. It's not you can't you can't avoid. Well, not all of them, but but, but a, a, a large, good deal of them. a good deal of them. I am I am very very making a big general statement here, but I I, I want to ask you about that. Is the only thing missing from the radical right here in the U.S. is like a religious school, and then we'd have the same situation, or or am I just being too extreme? No, it's a good point. You know, I always see the same thing. Instead of Quran and, a, and an AK, we have the same thing with the Bible and an M16 or AR-15. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, instead of the madrasas, we have the churches. We have the, you know, these white supremacist groups who are, again, also very religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes hand in hand. It's a dangerous cocktail. And, and when you always think your religion's bigger than the other and you have issues uh, which both, you know, the radical right and the Taliban have the same things. You know, they're anti-gay marriage. Mm-hmm. They probably don't believe in vaccines in Taliban uh, in Afghanistan either. Right. Um, you know, it's the same same thing. It's just my cross is bigger than your crescent moon. This and that. Um, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing. And you know, I, I I left the country to get away from that crazy stuff. We had the Islamic Revolution in 1979. And when I, what I see in the last couple of years here, it, it really scares me and bothers me because yeah. you see how fragile things are and how quickly you can go to shit. Absolutely. You look at someone like a Roy Moore or a uh, who thankfully did not win the Senate seat uh, there in Alabama. Yeah. Doug Jones won that one. But then you have someone like a Lauren Boebert. Boebert. Uh, you also have uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, discussing how they want to bring the, mm-hmm. the you know, uh, heaven to earth basically which is a horrifying that idea I, I don't mean, know yeah. well and that's that's an interesting thing i like to say we are three because we get three meals a day sometimes six <laughs> that keeps us from going as extreme as some people would like us to go but when it comes to the evangelical right and the far yeah. religious right they get what they want in places like africa where they kill gays they get policies put in place in other regions do you think that there is any way that uh, an, another administration comes in and maybe it is somebody who is religious? I mean, this seems like a fairly bipartisan issue at this point when it comes to getting the U.S. troops out of there. The RNC just re- removed their uh, line on their website uh, praising Trump for withdrawal from the Middle East. Is there any American politician or a uh, political ideology in America that would marry itself appropriately with the Taliban and almost find common ground in some of the more disturbing things that Americans or human beings can do, such as, of course, intolerance, uh, stoning gay people, and not allowing women to drive or work and basically be treated uh, like third-class citizens. And, you know, they're they're anti-Jews, equally the same. You know, the the white supremacists, uh, I've seen them praise muslim terrorists sometimes for attacking jews and stuff like that it's a it's and you know this stuff started back in the reagan era i think that was the first time that we started like banking on the those who didn't vote were the religious 
Bible Belt people that we, and every decade or every every time it's gotten worse and worse. And forever, our, our, our Republican Party is never going to be the same. And there's so much infighting. You know, we we they, we had these guys come together when when we were fighting the Cold War during the Soviets. The Democrats and the Republicans were on the same page, but now we're constantly just bashing each other. They're yeah, each other for everything, and it's like we're waiting for for points to score against the other party, not mm-hmm. not uh, all the time. Uh, we're very divided. And and yeah. everywhere, and we have a very weak democratic, you know, party. Uh, Biden is just like I, I I think it's just you know he should have retired a long time ago. <laughs> uh, you know, Kamala Harris, she doesn't have the expertise. I'm sure she's like questioning so many things about what happened in Afghanistan and and in Iraq right. and wondering what the fuck is going on there. Even though she's a war vet, doesn't mean you know these policies and understand them too well. Well, and that's kind of my my last sort of point. Um, when it comes to the U.S. military, I think that we've seen, uh, you know, when it comes to the, they just got 25 more billion dollars. So they're at 740 billion dollars. That's what the uh, the budget's yeah. going to be for the United States military. How, from their perspective, how do they feel about all of this? Do they see it as 20 years of lost treasure and lives? Or do they see it as, is there any spin that a military person can give to why we were there and why it was a success it's hard to put a finger on how someone could say that whatever happened these past 20 years was a success but from a military perspective is there anything that they can point to to say that was worth again 300 million dollars per day or is it legitimately just a complete and utter fucking wash they can point to their stock prices that's true they can get their (laughs) but uh, you know well, these Boeing and these Raytheon, these companies are are getting a lot out of this thing. You know, 20 years ago, drone fights or drone war was something totally new. <laughs> and look how much where it's come and where yep. it's gone and, and how other countries have also capitalized on it. Um, it's for military. It's always been a good thing but also we're in competition with so many scary countries like the russians and the chinese with hypersonic missiles with more nuclear warheads that shoot 10 uh you know 10 warheads in one missile yeah they're all nerfed yeah and 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 sometimes you feel scared you're like maybe we do need to spend this much money because look how much the so the the russians and and the chinese are and the north koreans are (laughs) and their alliance is going uh, uh, meanwhile the europeans are just like kind of like chilling and not doing much contributing to our side of, side of the NATO. Um, I don't know. It's scary. But again, whatever we escalate, they're going to escalate. Do you think we're, are we in a, obviously it's no longer a binary world when it comes to superpowers because of China. Do you think we're heading towards a cold war or, or are we already in a cold war theoretically with China? I mean, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, they've, they've won because they have a larger population and they make a lot of money for a lot of people. And that's why our yeah. movies are censored in a way that they would appreciate John Cena being forced to apologize for ta- rightfully saying Taiwan uh, should be independent. I treat John Cena the same way I treat John McCain when he gave uh, the speech uh, demeaning the United States. I think he's a hostage with the gun to his head. Someone called him and was like, you're not going to cost us billions of dollars. Are you professional wrestler John Cena? And he's like, no, no, I, I apologize. Uh, it really was a hostage video. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are we entering a new Cold War era? The Marvel movies are the only reason I truly feel that we have peace. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's possible. I mean, honestly, that's the number one export in America is culture. culture. However, our culture is now being dictated by a foreign entity because they get more butts in seats at the end of the day. <laughs> and that's what matters. 
you know, our economy is still intertwined with the Chinese and all that. And as long as it is, I think it's somewhat pieces priority. But the way the Chinese are mm. looking ahead and the way they're going and the amount of technology they've stolen that they can do whatever at this point and move forward with without much help uh, from from the Western companies. Uh, they're thinking about taking over the world. I don't know in what sense, but, you know, for them to be a big brother and kind of uh, look over everything and be able to gain out of everything and put it back into their shit in their military and their spy technology and stuff like that. Uh, they, they, it's a long-term goal. I think that's where they want to go and that's where they're going and that's what's happened so far. And we're definitely falling behind. Um, I would worry about the Chinese and I think at some point their economy is going to be so big that maybe they don't need, need us as much as we think they do at some point. Yeah, they carve us out. That's what Gaddafi tried to do and he ended up with a knife up his ass. Whoa! Oh, not good. Well, Saman, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience? No, it's just good to see you guys. It's very It's cool. good to see you too, buddy. All right, Saman Arbabi, everyone. Uh, check out everything that he does. He is a genius man, and I'm honored to call him a friend. Thank oh, you so much for being here, Thank Simon. you. Thank you, guys. All right, everyone. There it was, our conversation with my great friend, Saman Arbabi. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, Saman's also a very funny comedian. He is so, so funny. It's so weird to well, be... he's like one of those genius guys who, yeah. who uh, takes really serious issues and is able to dilute them in a comedic way. And, you know, at, some, at one point, he was like super wanted dead in Iran. He can't go back there at all. Right. But it was like dangerous. Whenever I would hang out with him in New York, I was like, ooh, what? I'm going to be your bodyguard. Don't worry. You got the beef. I'm the beef. I won't let him throw you in a van. Of course, I probably would have uh, just started crying immediately had anyone even <laughs> drove slowly next to us. <laughs> right. But, uh, Fernando, you make up a great point when it comes to recruiting. And we talked about uh, this with, with Saman, disenfranchised, disillusioned, poor youth males. Um, that's you, very similar army. to what they do here. Yeah, the army. I mean, all the commercials. Who do yeah. they? Who do they? What? Where do they go in the country? Where do they try to recruit from? What schools do they go to? They tell you if you join the military, we'll pay for your college, we'll pay for your edu, we'll pay for your life. It's the same. I feel like the recruiting tactics. I, a lot of what I gained from my conversation with Saman, from me hearing what was that there is. There's some fundamental violent differences between like the Taliban and, and you know, different organizations. But the reality is like radical is radical. Humans are humans. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, I'm with you. And of course, when it comes to advertising, there has been some issues here uh, with some ads, but I don't I'm, I'm working on it. The military <laughs> finds a way. They sure Don't do. They, they find a way to get in there. So yeah. Oh, I in can. fact, I'm getting a call from uh, the Secretary of Defense right now. Whoa. Yes, I do want to join. Thank oh you. Oh my God, Travis Irvine in the Army now. Oh, I can't I wait. <laughs> I am a lot like Pauly Shore. I get you that a lot. <laughs> well, all the good parts. Um, all right, everyone. Next episode, we are going to focus on law and order. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, criminal justice reform. Again, that conversation continues, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Thank you all so much for the support. Uh, we're beating Glenn Beck. Woo! We're rising in the ranks, and now we are consistently in the top 20 uh, throughout the week. So that was kind of the goal, and we couldn't do it without you. So thank you all so much. Also, thanks to everyone who came out to the shows in Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Des Moines, and Omaha. And then we will be uh, on the road again next week. But I will talk to you. Travis will talk to you. And Fernando will talk to you again later on this week. All right, everyone. Hope you're doing well out there. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. 
Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.